Well, hello there, weary traveler. Welcome to the inn. Sit, sit, rest your feet. Why, it's a long journey on the road to Tarvalon. Have a cup of tea. Or maybe a frothy ale. The light. Why, you're just in time for the entertainment. Here are your hosts, Tracy and Amber. Hello and welcome back. I'm here with my friend Tracy. I'm here with my friend Amber. And this is The Road to Tarvalin, a Wheel of Time podcast. Today we are moving forward with our Eye of the World reread. And today we are covering chapters three through six. But before we start out, just a reminder, please go check out our new Threadless merch shop. I believe it's Road to Tarvalin slash threadless.com but i'll make sure that there's a link in our show notes for that and the designs if you would are like cool. to see yeah if you would like to see a child's t-shirt that says lord of chaos on it <laughs> let us know maybe we'll do it <laughs> yeah because i know if my your child is a lord or lady of chaos <laughs> ooh, ooh. maybe we need uh, both i don't know my i <laughs> The minute you made that design, I was like, Arthur needs that a t-shirt. Like, <laughs> that child is a hurricane all, all the, the time. Everything. Anyway. So, yeah, go check it out. There are some really cool designs, and they can be put on so many different products. I have the Wisdom one design that you made on a phone case that I'm really excited to purchase. I really like the color of that one. I love the color on that one. It's perfect. You're so good at picking out color palettes. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I just I think, think everything you. looks so cool. And truthfully, I feel as though everything is fairly reasonably priced. Yeah, and two, there's a bunch of stuff on sale right now. I don't know when this if this when this airs, if it will still be on sale, but they do sale all the time. So yeah, it's probably about that. more likely than not that by the time you check, they will be having some type of thing like free shipping or yeah. 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 So go check it out. And that said, should we back to our regularly scheduled <laughs> program? <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. So. We are starting out at chapter three, and this is called The Peddler. Mm -hmm. And the setting of this chapter starts out with the peddler just arriving. His name is Padon Fane, mm -hmm. and he is described as gangly, a beak-nosed man, a rooster. <laughs> he's bony with skinny fingers, mm -hmm. and he's not good-natured like the Gleeman. Mm -mm. So Rand, Matt, and Perrin are together watching as he talks. And at this time, a crowd starts to form around him, and he's telling news from the outside world. And we know the Two Rivers is a little bit kind of tucked away. And <laughs> That's <laughs> a really nice path. way of putting it. Off yeah. the beaten path. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he Sorry. says that, you know, everyone's like grumbling about how bad things are. But he said that the winters everywhere have been awful and the worst winter many have ever seen and the Borderlanders winter would make what the two rivers had experienced feel like spring. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. He goes on to say that there are men killing men, and there is war in Giladon, and ravens flock everywhere, and the mm-hmm. dragon reborn is on the loose, and that dead are falling like autumn leaves. Mm-hmm. And at this point, the crowd starts to panic and shout, and everyone's getting riled up. And Senbui is not making anything better. (laughs) Nope. But in some aspects, he's actually kind of making sense. He Mm -hmm. wants to know if this new man calling himself the Dragon Reborn is a false dragon or not. Mm -hmm. And Fane explains that this man can channel lightning and it comes when he calls. Mm -hmm. And that there are Aes Sedai after him. Yeah. So... The village council kind of notices all of this hubbub that's going mm-hmm. on, and they decide to take Padan Fane inside while they have a meeting. And from what I understand, I think they're kind of questioning him, mm-hmm. but also it's kind of a like a performative gesture. Yeah. So they're like, we're handling this. Don't mm-hmm. worry. You know, because everyone stay calm. Everyone completely lost their shit. When Pod and Fane said that the banner of the dragon had been raised. Like, yes, they're like, the dark one is loose. Like, everything Mm -hmm. is fucked. And, like, Mm -hmm. the standard of the dragon is what he said. Yeah. Yeah. And just like to have that reaction, like, this, it's like, it's biblical wailing and gnashing of teeth. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Agreed. I just, it was such a strong reaction, it really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. So the village council is doing their thing, and then we kind of focus on Rand, Matt, and Perrin as they talk mm-hmm. amongst themselves. Yeah. And as they are kind of conferring with each other over these theories of legends and whatnot, Nynaeve arrives bristling with anger because the boys are all, yeah, (laughs) right, (laughs) because they're caught up talking, you know, about their somewhat sheltered knowledge of all of these legends. Mm -hmm. And Egwene also arrives to watch Nynaeve's interaction with the boys, and Nynaeve calls Rand a moonstruck lamb because he's looking at Egwene as she is very obviously showing off her braid to him. Yeah. And Rand, you know, he's got like big eyes and he's thinking about her braid and what this means. And mm-hmm. Nynaeve was like, what are you doing, you moonstruck lamb? <laughs> <laughs> and this is, of course, because the braid signifies that she is now old enough to marry. Mm-hmm. But Egwene says that she wants to become a wisdom like Nynaeve and she wants to see places from stories. Mm-hmm. So... Nynaeve thinks this village council meeting is actually women's circles, women's circle <laughs> business. Just then, the glee man wanders out of the wine spring inn, and as this happens, it is revealed that Moraine has also handed out a coin to Perrin, mm-hmm. and he has also seen this cloaked writer. Yeah. And he told Master Luhan about it, and they tell Egwene about the writer, and then she berates them for telling stories. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of the girls have kind of ganged up on the boys, <laughs> and um, there's a lot of uncertainty in mm-hmm. Emmons Field. Yeah, Pot on Fane basically, like, 
dropped a news bomb on the entire group of people gathered there. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're all, yay, it's Beltine. And Pot and Fane comes in and is like, war, false dragons. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. <laughs> like, yes. Way to, way to throw shit around, Pot and Fane. And it, it also, yeah, like it reminds me a little bit of Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, where everyone's just chilling, and then mm-hmm. like Gandalf shows up and he's like, Well, <laughs> I'm gonna need some help. Yeah. <laughs> and people are like, What? But yeah, it's it's this idyllic little place that is, like you said, this biblical gnashing of teeth where it's like, yeah. uh oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> Super upset. So chapter four is the Glee Man. And this is like, this follows up on what you were saying where Gwen is like berating Matt, Rand, and Perrin. Mm-hmm. And the Glee Man rushes out of the, the inn as if pursued. And it's his cloak, of course, that lets, I mean, other than the fact that he's a stranger, but it's his cloak <laughs> that tells like them that this is... This is the Gleeman, as it's covered in a mass of patches of all colors and shapes sewn all over his cloak. The description that's given of Tom Marilyn in this moment does not necessarily feel... I mean, so many of our other characters are like, they were beautiful and they had this blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But instead, Tom is referred to as having a face like a gnarled tree that had seen hard times. So Senbui is described as having skin the color of a root, I think. <laughs> there are definitely some unflattering descriptions, but they are still very vivid descriptions, you know, like... I feel like I have kind of an idea of what Tom looks in this moment, and somehow it morphs later on, but whatever. That's neither here nor there. And for Rand, it's the man's eyes. Tom has blue eyes, and the only person that Rand has ever seen with light eyes up to this point is Lan. And so now Tom, and he's like, He's been made fun of his whole life for having blue eyes by everybody who has dark eyes. So of course this is or going gray to eyes. Yeah. So Tom the Mar- like Tom the Marilyn. The Gleeman comes out and he is upset and he's he's like, It's as though your village council didn't beg me to be here. And that just makes me wonder, is there some kind of Gleeman network? Like <laughs> How do you get, how do you find a Gleeman? Do you like send off a pigeon and hope it reaches someone? Is there a Gleeman guild somewhere that oversees everything? Like I don't know. It was just like, how did they beg him to come there? It's whatever. I Tracy, don't overthink everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's interesting because with all of this bad news and all of this crap weather. Maybe the village council was like, okay, we really need to lift spirits this year. Like, mm-hmm. who do we know? <laughs> <laughs> who do we know that can put us in touch with a Gleeman? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's funny to me. So Tom flips into a self-promotion mode, like shortly after <laughs> this happens. And he does a backflip and is juggling the moment he lands. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I call bullshit on him doing a backflip. I just, I don't believe it. I don't. It does seem kind of surprising, right? (laughs) 
Like, I mean, he's nimble. I don't know. Do you know how hard it is for a person in really good shape just to do a backflip? Like, do you know how hard practice. it is for me to just jump off the ground? Right. <laughs> I'm saying like I couldn't even do a handstand if I tried fuck no not even with help I (laughs) I feel like my arms are tired right stop this is dumb (laughs) I hate this but somehow this stoop-shouldered gnarled tree of an old man Mm -hmm. does a backflip so I think in that moment I kind of start seeing him differently too because you're like wait what but he starts to say that he's going to tell them wondrous stories of strange people and strange lands and then ages that were and will be ages when men ruled the heavens and the stars and that kind of made me think about something that you had said like what time zone is this where is this located and I think you said this is like the future, not the past? Is that right? I really right? feel like it is because at one point, I think Mogadine mentioned like what would be the equivalence of like rockets, like spaceships or something. Yeah. Well, so and I'm in, just like, I don't know. In this, him saying like when men ruled the heavens and the stars. And then the rest of that statement goes on to say things like how the world had been battered by fire and by ice and like. I mean, we're looking at, in our world, environmental uncertainty and what is that Mm -hmm. going to do to us as a planet. And we as people have lived through so many different ways of living that who knows? Who Mm -hmm. knows? But that just kind of stood out to me. And I think it was because of something that you had mentioned before. And I just thought that that was interesting because he's like, I have all stories. That's a good catch. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) I I really like, I think that's why I read over these so often is to like catch new things that I haven't caught before. But one of the things that Tom says while he's like his own infomercial is, (laughs) (laughs) right? Um, Is that, the dark he's he says he'll tell them about the dragon and his attempt to free the dark one into the world of men and i was like what what like huh yeah because you know we had rand not rand tam in ravens tell the story of luther and telamon who was the champion of the light and mm-hmm. tom is a teller of all stories is this a slip up? Does he have information we don't have? Like, it just, it felt weird. Do you know what I mean? Right. And I mean, this is one of those situations where it's like, okay, did the lines just get crossed somewhere? Is this an accident? Or are we supposed to really like sit here and think about these things and what twisted implications they might have? And yeah. This is something I can't talk about until we get into the spoiler section. So (laughs) that's cool. Let's move on. Because the next part that happens is Moraine shows up and Tom shuts the fuck down. Like, he sure does. He pulls all of his balls together and like bows to her. And he's obviously been put off by her presence. But then little Ewan is like, she's the lady Moraine. And it says, I love this kid. Right? He's so observant. And he's like, yeah. putting people in their place. He's like, she's the lady Moraine. Like, can't you just see him? Yeah. If, if he was a little kid. 
<laughs> if he made it through this, you know, whole series and became a, a main character, the books would be much shorter because he would be like, no, don't do that. Yep. This is how this happens. Yep. You're misunderstanding this. <laughs> <laughs> he calls it like it is. Thank mm-hmm. you. But the exchange between Tom and Moraine is interrupted by the village council and Nynaeve coming out of the inn arguing about the various guests in the village. Basically, Nynaeve is not a fan of Moraine and Lan, and she wants them gone. So Nynaeve puts them in in their place, and I think this is where that whole, like, brand is like, well, they haven't insulted me the way that you have or called me, like, a half-wit in front of the entire village council. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I overestimated. She said my, esti- my, yeah, yeah. my estimates were wrong by half yeah. or something. <laughs> <laughs> she does not hold back. Get it, Nynaeve. Shout out to Water and Shade. If yeah. you want to see that episode, we are on um, our... What was it? Uh, Clapbacks, I guess. The best reads in the Wheel of Time. And that made the list. Absolutely. But it's an epic one. It really is. She's just like, (laughs) dang. The village council breaks up at this point. And Tam basically tells Rand, Matt, and Perrin that they don't really have anything to worry about in regards to the war and the false dragon. Uh, But they're still going to, like, create a, a watch to kind of keep an eye better safe than sorry. And Tam tells Rand it's time to head back to the farm. So while Rand, no, while Tam goes off to get the horse and the cart and everything, Matt, Rand, and Perrin all talk about the Black Cloak Rider and decide that they will talk to the mayor about it tomorrow. Tam and Rand talk about the decisions that the village council had made in regards to the war and the false dragon as they are walking back towards the farm. And Tam basically tells him that, like, now everybody's seen the village council, take it into consideration. They've put things to ease so that everybody can still have a really good time tomorrow because it's Beltine and it's party time and they have a glee mm-hmm. band and fireworks and a peddler. It's going to be the best Beltine ever. <laughs> it was not the best Beltine ever. <laughs> no. <laughs> you just know anytime something like that gets said. And really, that like ties into the end of this chapter too. But like Tam just throws it out there. If Perrin had seen the black cloaked rider as well, Rand's like, yeah, but and then it's like, wait, you believe me? And he like wants Mm -hmm. to go back and he's like, no, no, man, just chill out. We believe you. There have been several of the the boys in the village who saw him, too. And it makes Rand feel so much better. Like Mm -hmm. he feels like his step is lighter, like his dad and the village council are there. And then the the chapter wraps up saying there was nothing the black cloaked horseman could do that the people of Edmondsfield could not handle together. He's he's right. Again, again with these. (laughs) I just. Oh, God. The beginning of this book, like, drives me up the wall with these little, like, it's going to be the best Beltine ever. I'm like, okay, well, now I know. Like, <laughs> Now I know that yeah. things are going to get fucked up. You just know <laughs> yes. it. You just know right. it. Like, Rand feeling mm-hmm. better about stuff? Mm-hmm. Don't do it, man. Don't do it. Don't but, do it. I mean, why would they? why would they think any other way at the same time? You know? Like... They live in this. Well, yeah. 
I get that. And I think it's totally believable for the characters. But mm-hmm. as the reader, I'm just like, oh, yeah. I roll. Like, no. <laughs> now I'm expecting something, you yeah. know? Yeah. I would rather be blindsided maybe, but I don't know. It's just kind of like something like that. I feel, I think this is why some of these early chapters make me feel like it's a young author book Mm. like it was intended for a younger reader because I don't know I guess I just I I think if I would have read this when I was much younger Mm -hmm. it would have hit me totally differently yeah yeah and I would have been really like some of these things would have been really unexpected and just wild Mm -hmm. but they were for me you know (laughs) yeah like I was still a fairly new reader to the sci-fi fantasy genre like I mean I think before that I had been reading babysitter club books or something you know like loved babysitter club books (laughs) me too Claudia was my favorite (laughs) of course she was (laughs) I really related with Christy (laughs) yep so yeah foreshadowing foreshadowing let's chapter Um, five winter night chapter five winter night So the setting, we are starting off getting this nice description of the Althor farm Mm -hmm. and everything seems in order and Tam is kind of cautiously circling the grounds, Mm -hmm. just kind of inspecting things and they decide everything is as it should be. Mm -hmm. I personally like the part where he like tests the water from the well. Like, I wouldn't even thought about that. Yeah. Like, he was so cautious. Okay. Okay. Good job, Tam. Well, I think this kind of, like, cements how much of a badass Tam is. Mm. We will get to that later. So much. So, Rand and Tam are doing their evening chores, and we are reminded of how bleak things are. Definitely. Uh, Rand notes that the cow's milk has almost dried up, and the hens are barely laying any eggs or they are laying eggs, but they're hiding them. Yeah, I don't know and why I thought, he like, thought they were hiding their eggs. <laughs> Those tricksters <laughs> hiding their <laughs> eggs. <laughs> I'm like, no, Rand, they're just not producing any more eggs, maybe. Why would he think that? <laughs> Apparently in this world, um, hens are sentient creatures. <laughs> and They hide their <laughs> eggs. Yeah. It's a game. They like to if, see yeah. what the farmer will do next. <laughs> and if someone out there is a farmer and oh, yeah. I'm a giant liar, yeah. let me know. Yeah, I want to know too. Like, it, So I'm just going to share real quick here because this is going to come into the conversation. I have been watching far too many historic documentaries about people living on farms and so now I have like this entirely different <laughs> viewpoint on these farms situations. Like when he says that it's too cold to get the wool from the sheep, I was like, but if you wait too long, maggots and flies will like build up under their coats because that's what happens in the springtime. And I was like, Tracy, why do you know that? <laughs> You're like, come on, Rand. I know. Share right? them sheep. <laughs> it's just stupid. You can't wait. <laughs> 
It's going to be better You're emotionally for invested in the, in the outdoor farm. I really am. I really <laughs> am. Anyway, I know that's just ridiculous, but now there's like these <laughs> things where I'm like, how do they make the leather for everyone? And why is there, why are there windows being broken on the farm? Nope, that's a spoiler. You, you talk. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so <laughs> afterwards, they go inside, and to Rand's surprise, Tam emerges from his room with a heron marked sword. Oof. And they they sit down to eat, and all of a sudden there's a thump at the door. And before they have a chance to really do anything, the door bursts open and we are given the description of this ram-horned creature. Mm -hmm. And then things get chaotic. Rand throws a hot kettle at the creature. It freaks out. Tam is fighting with this beast and Rand described the sword as flashing as the creature falls. I loved that. And then... And then more of them burst into the house, and Tam tells Rand to run and that he will follow. Mm-hmm. So Rand hears wood splintering and exits the house by climbing out of a window. And from outside, he yells to warn Tam that there are more of these creatures coming in from the back. Mm-hmm. And he thinks he hears a creature land behind him, so he runs to the barn. And as Rand hears a window breaking, it's Tam jumping through it like Zorro. <laughs> and he's leading these creatures away from Rand. And eventually Tam finds Rand. And Rand is kind of observing how incredibly cold it is outside. Yeah. But he can actually feel the heat coming off of Tam's body. Mm-hmm. And he's burning up with a fever. And Tam wants to wait before doing anything, but Rand takes his sword and he's like, no, I'm getting supplies. I'm going to do this. And so he goes. So Rand gets to the house and he sees four of these dead Trollocs and one is still alive. Mm -hmm. So the Trolloc explains to Rand (laughs) that he's actually a smart Trolloc and he says his name is Narg and he won't hurt him. He says that a Merdral wants to talk to him. The oldest trick in the book. And why in Rand- the world would that be reassuring? <laughs> right? Um, why? Yeah. Okay, Trollic. Sure. I'll go have a talk with this Merdral. I'm sure like all of the damage and you trying to kill my father <laughs> was just a misunderstanding. Um, <laughs> this, I don't know. I'm sorry. These chapters are so ridiculous. I'm sorry. I love this book. I do. I love all of these books, but I can't. Like, okay. Whew, breathing. You're doing um, great. I yeah, get it. Thanks. You're doing great, honey. Mm-hmm. Um, Rand says he will talk to the Smurdral, so he puts his arms down so he's no longer in, like, a fighting stance. Mm-hmm. And as he does this, Narg lunges towards him and Rand unknowingly stabs him. And Rand is shaking. He is terrified. Mm-hmm. And he cleans the Trolloc blood off of the sword He gets cloth for bandages, blankets, water, and a lantern, and he goes to the wagon to get, or he goes to the barn to get Bella. Bella and the cow are both gone. Yeah. So he's just like, well, crap. That sucks. Yeah. So he sees a wagon that's kind of 
broken. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a broken cart shaft. And yeah. he turns it into this improvised like wagon to pull Tam on. So he gets back to Tam. Tam is sleeping. And he reassures himself that it's going to be okay. And then he will go and get Tam to Nynaeve and she will heal him. Mm-hmm. And once again... We are ending the chapter with a complete falsehood. Like, everything will be okay. We'll just get him to Nynaeve and Nynaeve will heal him. Everything will be okay once we get to Edmund's Field. It'll all be okay. What else? What is that in? Where it's like, everything will be okay once we reach wherever. Okay, never mind. It doesn't matter. It's like, it's sitting right at the front of my brain. Someone will know this somewhere. All right, so... We have Rand at this point trying to bandage up Tam, and he is really kind of shook by the fact that even though this is a very small scrape, Tam has this fever that just seems to keep getting worse. And I will say, though, for for Rand to be as scared as he is, he really thought on his feet and he fast. did good point he got yeah. all of these very important things that he would need to take care of tam like it's freezing outside so he gets blankets mm-hmm. he goes and gets cloth like clothes so he can cut up cut everything up to bandage tam yeah and i'm like man what would i do i would probably i would have probably given up at that point like what am i gonna do <laughs> you know how can i possibly do anything i think he also like looked for the herb pouch that would have had like medicines that would have helped or but it was herbs, but gone. it was like, yeah, it was destroyed Scattered. in the Trollic rampage. So Rand is worried. Like he's always seen his dad kind of shake off pain and fatigue and just keep moving forward because it's Tam and he's a fucking badass. And so he's trying to be gentle while he's doing like while he's cleaning his dad up and then gets him up into the litter that he's created. That's what they're called, right? When you like have like those poles and I kind of saw it in my head as like an improvised wheelbarrow. Yeah. Like, but without wheels. Like he's just dragging it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he like makes like straps and stuff for himself mm-hmm. so that he can hold it up over his shoulders and like pull Tam along behind him. Be Bella. Right? Wouldn't it have been nice? If she would have been there. But I mean, really terrified Bella. <laughs> run, run. Terrified all the animals. <laughs> no Man, kidding. All the sheep are dead. The cow's gone. Yep. Bella's will, gone. There will be no wool selling from the Althor farm. Well, I guess those maggots never would have mattered. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that puts your mind at ease. <laughs> I uh, feel better. I don't know. Do uh, you feel better all, now? No. All I can think <laughs> of is, like, now they can't sell their wool. Now they don't have meat from their lambs. Now they won't reproduce for next season. Stop it, Tracy. Trollocs. So as Rand is pulling his father along, he's got a lot of time to kind of think. And he's traveling just along the side of the quarry road, more in the trees than being on the main path, which would have been easier, but would also have made him like super vulnerable. So he's trying to stay as hidden as he can while still maintaining the path to Edmonds Field. And he starts thinking Trollocs, like end of fade, 
light shine on me, a fade, like mm-hmm. all of these things that we've been like the they're they've been joking about this this whole like first several chapters how these are yeah, just like stories. I yeah, they're you know, fables. The Dragon Reborn, exactly. Trollocs and fades. That's just a story. No, it's not. And you just found out mm-hmm. firsthand that's shitty. But as as Rand is pulling Tam along, Tam starts muttering more loudly and what he's saying is very concerning so he says you're still lovely carrie still lovely as a girl and rand's like fuck my mom's been dead for like 15 years like if he thinks that she's around then he's he's not good Yeah, yeah he's in way more danger than rand is expecting so now he has that on top of him to like have that that weight uh, not just like the weight of pulling the litter, but the weight of what he's potentially mm-hmm. facing. Like Tam could die. And Rand is realizing this as he's going through that things are really bad. So at this point, Rand decides that he should probably be able to defend himself if he wants to <laughs> or needs to. If he wants to. <laughs> I'd really I really enjoy defending myself against a Trollic this evening. I might want list. to. I might want to. I fuck, might Tracy? not. <laughs> I might. I might I'll not. Just play Maybe dead. I'll just uh, <laughs> kick back and <laughs> nothing to see here. I was gonna say a kick. Yeah, just go about your business. Everything is fine. Anyway, so Rand puts the the sword on, and this is like to mm-hmm. me. This is a moment. You know, like it's a small thing. Now this heron mark blade is hanging from Rand's waist, and he like says it feels heavy, but he feels okay carrying it. Like he kind of needs it at this moment. As he's traveling through the trees, he's also stumbling because he's getting tired, and the footing isn't even. And this is becoming more and more of a difficult situation for him. But he's also like trying to stay alert and aware that there are Trollocs and at least one Merdral hanging out that Mm -hmm. are on the lookout for him. And thankfully, he is keeping this lookout because on one of them... Well, wait, before we go there... Okay. Okay. Sorry, I'm going to kind of back up for a second because this this is important. Rand's muttering in his sleep, fever dreams, and this one is so good Mm -hmm. they came over the dragon wall like a flood tam said suddenly in a strong angry voice and washed the land with blood how many died for layman's sin and random layman what a dick right what a dick yeah and so Rand, like, loses his balance and kind of falls for a second because, like, first he's startled that his dad is yelling. Second, what the fuck is his dad talking about? Mm-hmm. So Rand tries to, like, reassure his dad that there aren't Trollocs coming after them because he doesn't understand what his dad is actually talking about. He tries to get him to drink some water. Tam's like, no way. But he's still kind of yelling at the same time. Like, yeah, he's, he's still- raising his voice. Yeah, and I mean, he has... And Rand's kind of like, maybe I should do something about it, but dragging this thing is loud enough, so if there's anything listening, they already they already would have came and gotten us. So yep. he's kind yeah. of just like letting him rant. <laughs> yeah, and he does. Like, one of the things was 
him talking about how the field at Marath was carpeted with the with the dead. And just these things that Tam is putting out there, I am 100% positive, are things that Rand knows nothing about no. from his father. No. Like, he's never... Like, it was shocking enough for him to see his father carrying a sword. And Rand assumes that Tam bought it. Like, he doesn't... Mm-hmm. He doesn't think maybe my dad knows how to use a sword and is an utter badass. He thinks that Tam bought himself a sword. Yeah, Tam says so, for two coppers. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that later. <laughs> we will. Oh my gosh, will we? So at this point, this is when Rand realizes that something is heading their mm-hmm. way. And so he like huddles down and tries to hide himself as best as possible and I loved this line. He knew what they were. He could feel it like grit scraping his bones. Like, mm. I loved that. It's so uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you know? And I feel like it gives, like, just the right feeling for this approaching band of Trollocs. I think he says there are, like, 20 Trollocs heading their way, and they're headed by a Merdral. And... This is what I thought was interesting. The horse's hooves made the same sounds that any others would. So Rand makes this observation that the horse can be heard. Mm-hmm. But then later, after like this whole band of Trollocs has left, he remains kind of hidden where he is, which was really smart. Yeah. Because the Merdral comes back, and this time the horse is silent. Mm-hmm. Like, There's no sound of the hooves at all. And what he's doing is like taking a few steps, looking around, taking a few more steps, Mm -hmm. looking around. And of course, at one point, he is directly opposite where Rand is hiding with his father, who at any moment is going to (laughs) start ranting and raving again. Exactly. But that doesn't happen. And the Madral goes away. And... Rand realizes that the direction they're heading in is toward the farm. So they're like they're heading they're backtracking back towards yep. the farm and Rand is heading in the opposite direction. Exactly. Yeah. But they don't know that. And so this is like another really lucky moment where they've escaped this band of Trollocs and Murdral, mm-hmm. which is kind of amazing considering they just learned <laughs> that they're real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's see here. One of the things that happens in this chapter that I think is really interesting is the fever dream comments that Tam makes because he's talking about things that are very upsetting to Rand. And he's basically like he's talking about the Isle War, mm-hmm. but not in a way that Rand would maybe necessarily recognize. The part here that really gets me, and I know this is a bit long. But I feel like it's worth it. Is that okay? Go for it. Okay, cool. So this is one this is one of his statements that he makes during the fever dream. Battles are always hot, even in the snow. Sweat heat, blood heat. Only death is cool. Slope of the mountain. Only place didn't stink of death. Had to get away from the smell of it. Sight of it. Heard a baby cry. Their women fight alongside the men sometimes, but why they had let her come, I don't Gave birth there alone, before she died of her wounds. Covered the child with her cloak, but the wind. Blown the cloak away. Child blue with the cold. Should have been dead too. Crying there. Crying in the snow. I couldn't just leave a child. No children of our own. 
always knew you wanted children. I knew you'd take it to your heart, Carrie. Yes, lass, Rand is a good name. A good name. Sucks for Rand. Yeah, like the next thing, the next line is suddenly Rand's legs lost the little strength they had. Mm-hmm. Like, pew. <laughs> yeah, his whole world just changed. Like, and of course he's like, no, it's just a fever dream that can't possibly be something that actually happened. Like, my dad doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. But then the chapter ends with, "Light, who am I?" and Mm-hmm. Man, Rand, that's a really good question. We're gonna, good question, we're Rand. We're going to have to try to find that out. Yeah. <laughs> so that's... Oh, whew. yeah. I mean, I, do, I think at this point, uh, when I read this, I was like, okay, well, he's clearly not who he thinks he is. And we've had all of these little clues about the eye color and him being bigger than everyone else and... Taller. Yeah, yeah, and it's just mm-hmm. kind of like, okay, well, we've had we've had some good clues and now mm-hmm. we are getting the most obvious like, okay, well, there it is. That's that. Yeah. But I actually but Rand go ahead, goes go ahead. back and forth this whole time, kind of like, I don't know, he's kind of tiptoeing around it and you know, he doesn't want to believe it and he's <laughs> trying to come up with other things to make it okay like he's just got a fever he's just telling yeah he's just saying these things but he knows he has to know yeah and i mean like you said there are all these these little hints like even in the first chapter he's like i don't i don't look much like my dad i must look more like my mother because she was an outlander Mm -hmm. you know so like there's reasoning there and he obviously knows that Tam left for a little while, but he doesn't know why or for how long. Mm -hmm. And obviously, Tam has never shared that with him. So, yeah. Well, Tam has left a lot of things out. And as great of a father he is, it's it didn't do it didn't do him any favors, I would say. But yeah. And and I mean he's 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 seriously the most wonderful adult, I feel like, in this story. And the way that he t- has raised Rand and takes care of him, he's just a really good guy and a good father. But going yeah. back, seeing all of these things that were left a secret, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to come back to bite him mm-hmm. or to hurt Rand. And you never want that. But it makes the story more exciting, I guess. <laughs> so I can see why it's there. I think it's like I think it's like another one of those things that like tosses an additional layer onto mm-hmm. the complexity of the story. Because mm-hmm. there are things that are like introduced throughout these early chapters that And you have to have you have to give Rand some internal conflict as if he doesn't already have enough. <laughs> but as if being a teenager isn't as Difficult as anything gets. Mm-hmm. I mean, poor guy. Poor Rand. Should we go ahead and take our break? And then I'm afraid I'm going to start spoiling things left and right. <laughs> no, I am. That's perfect. We're right. At it. Okay. So the first yeah, thing so. that we stopped on was talking about how 
Tom Marilyn said the dragon freed the dark one mm-hmm. and how that's a little bit like, wait, what? <laughs> wait, what? Yeah. So there, I mean, there is the, the idea that the dark one and the dragon reborn have fought thousands of times. Like this is what we learned in the prologue. It said thousands mm-hmm. of times over and over. Sometimes we were friends. Sometimes we were enemies. This was the discussion between Luz Theron and Ishamayel. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering like if one turning was maybe the dragon a friend of the dark one because that's what Ishamayel had said. Like we fought together and we fought against each other. So I'm just like, mm. is there a even older story that we don't know about that's in this history because at one point Tom is telling a story and Egwene is getting really excited and it was a story that I had never heard of or thought about and where I feel like this might have been the only time that's ever been mentioned mm-hmm. where I was like oh I don't know that one like this isn't I said I talk or Mm-mm. you know whatever and it's just kind of curious. Mm-hmm. Well, and Rand comments on how, like, a queen doesn't usually ask for those kinds of stories, too. She liked stories where it was about women outsmarting men. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So Rand points that out that it's like, I don't know, it's just, it's not what he expects from her in moments like these. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wonders if she's doing it to kind of, like, dig at him. And, I mean, we know, Egwene, it's very likely that's exactly what she was doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will live my own life. I will live my own life. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. So for Chapter 3, as far as, like, spoilers and stuff goes, I have a couple things, but I want to see what what you have, too. Okay. Um, I kind of just started out on this like nice exposition of our Emmonsfield five characters that we get starting out in this chapter for the Peddler mm-hmm. chapter. So Perrin is right off the bat described as a massive and muscled youth. Yep. And I loved how we are right off the bat being shown his gentle nature while he's trying to make his way through the crowd He is being careful not to push or shove anyone. And I thought that was really sweet. And And apologizing as he was going along Mm -hmm. and like, didn't matter if they were paying attention or not. He was still like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I can just see him like, oops, sorry. My bad. Sorry. Excuse me. That's what I do. I mean, I'm not I'm not like big like parent, but I really like to work my way through crowds. And I'm just usually like, excuse me, pardon me. (laughs) Coming through. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then um, when Fane, when Pot on Fane reveals the news about all of this dark stuff that's happening in the world, mm-hmm. um, Rand is described as being nervous, but Matt is described as being excited. excited. And Matt wants to see the dragon reborn. And yep. Perrin is like, ooh, no, no, no. I hope mm-hmm. he stays far away from the two rivers. So later when Nynaeve shows up, It's revealed Matt is afraid of Nynaeve, and she is described as young and pretty, and that she carries a stick, and she is not afraid of anyone. No matter their age, she will thump them with it. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and Egwene is described as mimicking Nynaeve's stance. Mm-hmm. And it's noted that Egwene can listen to the wind like Nynaeve. Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel like I've got a reversal of how I originally thought of Nynaeve and Egwene. Starting oh. out the first time, I really, I was kind of annoyed with Nynaeve because I was like, she's so angry, like mm-hmm. chill. And mm-hmm. Egwene was like, I love stories and adventure. And I'm like, me too. <laughs> but now <laughs> as I'm going back over this the second time, I'm kind of seeing Egwene like, well, yeah, everyone's on our case. The moment we get into Emmons Field, send Bowie and the Congers or the Coplins, I don't remember. It doesn't matter. They're the same family anyways. Yep, talking yep, smack yep. about her. <laughs> and I'm just like, this poor woman is mm-hmm. probably, you know, she's too young. She's not smart enough. She's she not needs qualified a enough. She should she, be out flirting yes. with men at her age. Yeah. Right. Thanks, Tom. Um, right. But yeah, so now I'm kind of feeling very sympathetic towards mm-hmm. Nynaeve. And I'm a little bit kind of uh, raising my eyebrows at Egwene because she's mimicking Nynaeve. So it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, so this is either she's probably either looking up to her as like a role model or she's like she has power and authority and I want that too. Neither of those are bad things, but I kind of just see her in a different light, especially when she very nonchalantly pulls her braid forward so that Rand can see it. And I think she took a little bit of pleasure in making him uncomfortable uncomfortable about it. Which yep. <laughs> it's cute, but it's mm-hmm. also like, oh, Egwene. <laughs> I think so I have a couple thoughts on that because I had also made a note to myself about understanding why Nynaeve would be as defensive as she is and why she's so angry. Like, she supposedly has the same level of authority in her village that the mayor has. Mm -hmm. And yet all of these people are, like, talking down to her or, like, trying to tell her that she's not fit for the role that she has. Like, it's just... That has to wear on a person after a while. And she's been hearing this since, like, she became... The apprentice, apprentice to yeah. the old wisdom. So it's this has been building up. We don't really know what Nynaeve was mm-hmm. like before the entire village ganged up on her for being too young, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I, that also struck me differently, this reading through. Um, and it's like with Aguine, she's a student, like for everything, for everyone. So I think, I think it's a bit of both. Of what you said, like the want for power, but the also the want to be more. Like that's a Gween's thing. She always wants to be more. So yeah, whatever situation she is in, regardless who she is with, she is always looking to those around her as mentors. Mm-hmm. I feel like very much, and so. just you know, show me everything, teach me yep. everything. And I think this is this is something that could also be confused with, like, climbing a ladder. You know mm, what I mm-hmm. mean? Yes. Like, I, I don't personally think this. I don't think that she is ill-intentioned like mm-hmm. that. 
Yeah. But I have seen people say like, oh, this is why I don't like her. Mm. But for me, I, I kind of just see it as her her wanting more, which is not a bad thing at all. Mm-mm. Girl, get you can have whatever you want. Get it. <laughs> get it. Yeah. Seriously. But I also really liked the significance of being told about the braid and what it signifies for these young women to be of marital age. Mm-hmm. And I kind of just wanted to look it up. And I mean, in our own history, like the significance of braided hair is incredible. And really? this is, yes, this is something that, okay, like dating back one of the earliest, I think it's a like a clay figurine that was found somewhere in, I want to say like the Austrian Alps, but it's... Mm. It's this kind of like Venus carving, you know, like mm-hmm. a little pendant sized woman mm-hmm. and, you know, big hips, big boobs, braided hair. And mm. this is, you know, in this would be obviously in modern day or like where Europe is now. But then mm-hmm. in Africa, we also have cave paintings of mm-hmm. women with braided hair. So as far back as you can look. Like, women have been braiding their hair. That's really interesting. Yeah, and then, so, if we go to, like, Africa, I'm not 100% sure where the first peoples were braiding their hair in Africa, but Mm -hmm. I know one of the earlier places was where Namibia is, and the pattern of braid would signify, you know, what tribe you belong to, your age, your marital status, your That's religion, so cool. your income, how wealthy you are. Wow. And then if you go forward into medieval society, it was considered modest for women to wear their hair and kind of like a thick braided updo yeah. where they would kind yeah. of wrap it around. And then this would be more like polite culture you would if you wore your hair loose and unbound it would be really socially like a faux pas okay so I thought that was really kind of cool that Robert Jordan you know can you imagine him sitting in a library somewhere looking up like braided hair <laughs> braided hair yes yes I can actually <laughs> so, yeah so I mean I can't overstate how important braided hair is in culture, Uh you know, throughout the world. And I just thought that was really cute. Well, and there are other cultures within the system that have braided hair as well. Like, is it Tinchico or Terrebonne where they have, like, the the thin braids? I know uh, Leandrin. Leandrin? I know she's from there, and they talk about, like, her braids, and they have beads, and they click and whatever. Um, Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's really interesting. I mean, I love just the attention to hairstyles. I mean, Mm -hmm. even the Aiel have kind of a mullet. I know some people think that it's more of a rat tail Mm -hmm. because they say that they describe that it hangs like a tail. Mm -hmm. But to me, I saw it as like a thick tail, like a Mm. more like a (laughs) like a mane. yeah, kind of like a, you know, like if you had like a faux hawk and where it would be <laughs> that yeah. one long part in the back like grown out. Like I didn't see it as one little wispy 
tiny rat tail. That's I saw how it more. I always saw it. But I like <laughs> your I like your visual much better. Mine was more of like a fashion rat tail. <laughs> Not like a little wispy. <laughs> of course it is, Claudia. Of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. There's so many I mean, there's so many fun things with hair. And that's awesome. I'm so glad you looked that up. I love little details like that because, I mean, while we're talking about historic things, I just I just have to ask this question. And I'm jumping ahead and I'm sorry, but when the Trollocs are attacking uh, Tam and Rand at their house and there's breaking glass from the windows, Mm -hmm. where did the glass come from? Like, they have thatch-roofed <laughs> houses. How do they have glass windows? I would assume... Okay, so... I mean, I know that's kind of just a silly thing, but I was like, wh- how? Well, how? Well, they you they could be, like, blown glass where... Yeah, but who makes it? Is there a glass maker in the village? Is there one close by? Does it get imported in? See, this is why I should not watch so many documentaries <laughs> about things. Because then well, I ask got... questions like this. They've got all of the natural resources. They've got a quarry. They've got, you know, ore and everything. I'm there has to be sand somewhere. I mean, they have to you get if you can make (laughs) weapons, you know, if you have some a place that's hot enough to not melt, but to work iron and steel and stuff like that, then clearly you would have the capabilities to make glass. Right. Like all you need is heat. And <laughs> I'm, I'm, it might be just a little bit more complicated than heat. Well, yeah, but sand. even here, but, I mean, some of these really, really old historical buildings. Yeah, the, the windows. So you would they would take the glass where it's kind of like bubbled and it's still really hot, but it's a little mm-hmm. bit like gloopy, and <laughs> then you would pinch it and then you spin it and you get like discs. Huh, okay. And there'd be like circular 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 discs kind of <laughs> where the point would be a little bit pinched. Uh-huh. Where kind of like if you had a glass, you know, like an old glass like Coke bottle or something, if you yeah. flip it over, the bottom isn't flat, you okay. know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a little bit bowed. But it kind of they would work these into these kind of like disc shapes and then they would make little things to hold them in place and so they would kind of like stack stack up a little bit and I always thought it looked really weird because it looked like if someone just cut off the bottoms of a bunch of glass bottles yeah and made like a kind of like a stained glass like look yeah so I don't know but <laughs> that is a really great <laughs> question I, just, I was just like you have a thatch roofed house but you have glass windows like <laughs> How many centuries okay. are we like pulling you're gonna, together here? You you are going to need to do some research <laughs> and get back with it next week. Tracy and her ridiculous research topics. But I mean, seriously, <laughs> I was just like, okay. Anyway, what's the next thing? So when we're when we're the questions that Fane is receiving mm-hmm. while he is telling the news, I I was. I was laughing so hard because it really <laughs> cements how sheltered the two rivers are. Mm-hmm. Senbui, when he's asking Fane, like, 
Fane is talking about there's wolves attacking and mm-hmm. so and so and this and that. And Sen Bui is like, well, what could be worse than wolves? Mm-hmm. And you're like, uh, war. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I don't know. The end Famine, of the world. <laughs> plague. <Yeah. laughs> right? I, I don't know. A poisoned then, water system out of nowhere. We could think of lots of things. Somebody poisoned the water. In <laughs> <laughs> and then Master yeah. Alvir is like, well, why is there war? Mm-hmm. And Fane is probably just sitting there thinking like, what a bunch of country bumpkins. Like, they yeah. know nothing. Well, and I mean, it's kind. Of, it's definitely worked into the mm-hmm. narrative around him that like... He's, yeah, he's, he's kind he's of smarmy. distant. Yeah, like yeah. he's he has people that he's particularly friendly with, but it doesn't create like he doesn't go past like a back slapping, hey, how's mm-hmm. it going kind of approach. Yeah. Um and when of, he, oh go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so when he's talking about the dragon reborn, mm-hmm. this, I laugh. This this got me. This got me good. <laughs> Some confused person in the crowd shouts and he's like, so-and-so and the dragon reborn. And someone in the crowd is like, the dark one. And yes. Master Luhan is like, the dragon reborn isn't the dark one, you idiot. <laughs> and I'm just like laughing because it's like, Master Luhan, are you the only person that has any sense right now besides Maybe. Tam? Mm-hmm. Like. I think besides Tam, uh, Master Luhan might be one of my favorite adult characters from mm-hmm. the Two Rivers because I really love the relationship between him and Perrin, mm-hmm. especially after learning that when Perrin told Master Luhan that he had seen this mysterious cloaked rider, mm-hmm. Master Luhan starts carrying around a giant <laughs> fucking hammer. hammer. <laughs> and I'm like... You know, like, how good does that have to feel to be one of these scared young men and one of the adults in your life that you look up to is like, I believe you, I hear you, I'm Mm -hmm. listening, and taking what you're saying as important enough to Mm -hmm. arm yourself. Yeah. I mean, and that happens for Rand, too, when he finds out that, like, Tam's on his team. He's yeah. like, like, he says something about how he feels at that moment. He has the whole village behind him. And yes. he's like, yay, people know everything's going to mm-hmm. be okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, he what? He's, you know, a lot no, lighter on his feet. And it's it just, just. It it kills me because, again, it's the whole foreshadowing thing. Like, what could what could possibly happen? Mm-hmm. Everything will be fine. Like, the yeah. the. Like, one of the things that I made a note on this is, like, the fallacy of waiting for tomorrow. Like, this is, I wrote that down in my notes, too. Not to those words, but the fact that all of these kids are like, well, we'll talk to the village council about it tomorrow. And for Mm -hmm. now, everything will be okay. And they're all like, I want to join the watch and this and that. And, you know, and they kind of split ways. And Rand is thinking... I think his last like thought before he takes off is like, it'll be okay. I'll mm-hmm. bring it up tomorrow. Yeah. And this is just going to be another one of those things wearing on Rand's conscience that he didn't speak up soon enough. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, at least the village council was aware of it, but everybody wasn't, you know? So right. when things happen the way that they happen, it's a complete surprise to 
everyone, you know, mm-hmm. like no one is expecting this to happen. No one expects the Spanish Inquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that stood out to me this time is how it is mentioned that Pot and Fane comes to the Two Rivers every spring. And he has for as long as Rand can remember. And we know that Pot and Fane is a dark friend. Mm-hmm. So is he a searcher? Like, we know how the Aes Sedai had their people out looking for mm-hmm. the Dragon Reborn. I'm sure this goes right along with exactly, well, not exactly, but this is really similar to this observation that I found where Fane says there have been three false dragons in the last five years. And when you're talking about searchers, I'm thinking about, okay, um, how, how twisted is everything getting to where all of these men are proclaiming themselves the dragon reborn? Mm -hmm. Like, is there, are they trying, is there something more sinister behind the scenes where people are trying to get these, you know, the world to feel chaotic and scared and maybe they Mm -hmm. want war. Maybe they want chaos. Maybe Mm. there is someone sowing these seeds because they know the real dragon reborn is coming They've been looking for him. It's totally possible considering Loghain's story. Yeah, exactly. Like, he was basically being escorted to do the things that he was doing by the Red Aja, and then they, like, take him down, you know? Like... There's so many layers and layers of shady stuff going on where it's really hard to put a finger on where it starts and, you know, where no it kidding. ends. It's yeah. Just... It's a lot. Uh, but um, that's all I had for chapter three. I'm just going to flip through what I have real quick. Oh, yeah. This was the place. I think we mentioned it, too. Like, in this chapter, Senbui is kind of like the voice of reason. Like, yeah. when Fane is, like, talking about... or. Yeah, when Fane is talking about there being a dragon, Senbu is like, well, he didn't say it was a false dragon. Maybe we mm-hmm. should, like, actually talk about this. Like, mm-hmm. hey, guys. And it's just funny because usually I'm like, oh, God, fucking Senbu. But this time I'm like, well, maybe. He's kind of got a point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you guys should listen to the grouchy little man. Like, mm-hmm. he's on to something. I am kind of curious about why Perrin and Matt told Egwene about the black rider hmm because isn't that what they do they like talk about this black rider and then she's like you guys are making up stories blah 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 i think she had been kind of standing aside watching them Mm. because at that time Nynaeve is also berating them for talking nonsense so I think she kind of just like steps up and is like, yeah, you're talking nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> I but just at the same it's... time, it's not, it's really carefully worded that whole paragraph because this is right after Tom Marilyn is like, I am Tom Marilyn and so and so and this and that. And then once there's, you know, all this conversation and stuff going on. And then later, Moraine emerges from the crowd and he stops. Yeah. And she says, 
master bard or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if she had heard him say like previously anything about who he was mm-hmm. where I'm like, tricky, tricky. So did she know? And yeah. we had brought that up earlier. Yeah, but I also just wondered, like, he was a court bard. She is an Aes Sedai. She's also technically eligible Royalty. for the throne. Yeah, in Kyrian. So what if she had been, like, on a visit to Morghese at some point and exactly. had seen Tom perform? Mm-hmm. And two, I mean, knowing what we know about Tom, uh-huh. he is so observant. So I have a feeling like he sees a face he remembers. Yeah. And expe- especially if you're an Aes Sedai and you're royalty. Like, you you know, you can't get something over on Tom like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I really have a feeling that they... If they had any type of interaction in the past, they would both know who each other are immediately. Yeah. And also, like, Tom's super good at the game of houses, which means that he has to know, like, who everyone is and kind of, like, where they are. And I just can't see him, even as a gleeman, like, not kind of following those things. And during the time that he was a bard, he would have known... Like what was happening? In, oh yeah, in Kyrian and like helping Morghese do the things that she needed to do as a young queen. So, I I had never really thought about the fact that they may actually kind of know each other or at least know of each other in some way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and of course he recognizes fair. Lan as a warder. Right. I mean, come on. I Figures mean. of legend. <laughs> right? In your village, guys. So since we're talking about Tom and Moraine anyway. Mm-hmm. You want to uh, go to chapter four? I do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because seriously, the description of Tom is not incredibly flattering. He no. does not react well to seeing Moraine. Moraine is just, you know, her normal, distant, Mm-hmm. subtly worded individual, you know? Mm-hmm. So do you think, like, when I was reading over it, I was like, do you think it was love at first sight? Like, Maureen and Tom together? Because <laughs> um, I kind of feel like, no. No, no. but I almost <laughs> feel like this description that we get of Tom here in Eye of the World, I feel like it's misleading because... I agree, Because Tom, we know he can put on disguises. Mm -hmm. We know how sneaky he is. I feel like when he shows up in the two rivers, he is putting on a show and being exactly who they expect Mm -hmm. out of a gleeman. You know what I mean? Like, he's just a simple gleeman. And then, you know, if you see this kind of withered older man... And then he starts juggling and does a backflip. You're going to be like, whoa, okay. It's like, what's that? The Prestige, that that movie, (laughs) that's what it's like. (laughs) Yes. But like Tom is a master. He's almost like a magician in some of the things that he can do. Well, and and he's. he's, I'm sorry, go ahead. And he's attracted younger women like when he's with Dana. Yeah, or Dana, she's a younger woman. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I feel like what you see with Tom isn't always what you get. Like yeah. he can put on a show 
and pretend to be something he's not. And as he's being described as kind of this kind of like crooked necked older yeah like stoop shouldered like yeah crotchy looking and sounding yeah i almost feel like maybe he just showed up in the two rivers and that's his um you know that's his disguise that's That's, his glee man disguise (laughs) that's his assumed persona for the time being yeah i mean when i when he has this whole weird little plot line with elaine she describes him as being handsome. Mm-hmm. And Elaine's a young, a very young, attractive woman. And mm-hmm. for her to, like, look at Tom and be like, he's, you know, he's handsome. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not going to get into people thinking that's weird because I honestly <laughs> did not see that in anything sexual whatsoever. I saw that as her, like, having a stand-in father figure. <laughs> but I'm not going to go there. But I mean, that's actually a really good point because like for me, the image of Tom kind of evolves as I'm reading the book and he changes in like my head canon and how he looks. Right. And so, I mean, I think that that makes sense. Like, yeah, he's a master manipulator. He knows Mm -hmm. how to get people around him to respond to him in the way that he wants to. And then, I mean, if later on this is how he's described to a stranger coming to the village, then Mm -hmm. he takes on a different persona and this isn't the person he is anymore. These are not the droids you're looking for. (laughs) This is not the glee man you are looking for. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it is. Um so yeah, I just kind of I just thought that that was really kind of interesting how that's how he's described and then later on we have like this like Tom and Moraine totally in love with each other and I still just mm-hmm. don't know when that happened. When did that happen? When I did feel they like fall it had to have been like when she goes into Royadion and knows that he's going to come back to save her Hmm. like maybe she was seeing something in her future and that made her look at him in a new light Hmm. kind of like when Egwene has basically sex dreams about (laughs) Gawain (laughs) then she's immediately like I'm in love with him now You got to watch out for those sex dreams. They'll get you. <laughs> Every time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm really, just saying on, like it wouldn't it. be. Yeah, it wouldn't be out of the norm for Robert Jordan to use that same technique or something because we get it with Egwene. Like maybe Moraine was just like, oh, like he's going to be important to my future. And then when she realizes that he like risked his life to come save her mm-hmm. and she's like, OK, and how I wonder how different they are in ages. I don't think they would be very different because I'm pretty sure Maureen is 50. Yeah. And I feel like Tom is probably a little bit older than that. So, yeah. So, I mean, they're actually really similar in age and they're just. And in social status, too. Like, exactly. shit, Tom was with um, more gays. I mean, and the fact that he's, I don't know, he's just, he's a. Like you said, like a master manipulator, the game of houses. Like we should Moraine, have, yeah, we Moraine should make like a no sticker that's like stranger. Moraine to that. plus Tom equals uh, power Watch couple. Your, yeah, <laughs> no, they are though. I've no, talked about yeah. it before. I think that uh, yeah. they are. I agree with you one hundred percent on that one. I think it's brilliant, and I would love to see more of it. 
Um, the other thing, like we kind of talked about this, this actually goes right back to what we had talked about before about how Nynaeve has every right to her defensive, angry mm-hmm. nature. So I don't really feel like we need to go back over that. But then one of the things that I thought was really interesting is how po- our Tom recognizes Pot on Fane. And I'm like, how? Like in all of this wild, whole big world, how have <laughs> is, they yeah, crossed like, paths? Is the peddler stand always next to the <laughs> Gleeman show? It's the, Gle- it's the Gleeman <laughs> Guild and the Peddler Guild, and they just kind of cross paths all the time. I don't. I thought that that was just like. I wonder I mean, if they make point... the same circuit. You know what I mean? Because I feel like oh, okay, if, yeah. if all of these. Most of these places, you have to take the same roads to yeah, and from. Yeah, so there's only one road into the two rivers, you know? Yeah, so if there's a festival somewhere, the peddlers oh. are going to show up. The gleeman is going to show up. Okay. Like holidays, I'm thinking. Yeah. Okay, thank you. That makes me, like, that. that is brilliant. I okay. love that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or maybe it's something very nefarious. Well, I mean. That would be fun, too. Well, Tom does say there's more raven in him than man. And oh yeah, I wrote poor, I wrote that down too. Poor Pod on Fane, there's more of something else than him in him for almost the entire time we know him. <laughs> he's got so, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. I know. He's like an entirely different creature by the end of mm-hmm. the series where you're just like yeah. What are you? What happened to you? Um, yeah, the the backstory I never knew I wanted is like the, right. the pot on fame, the origin story. <laughs> well, and I mean, unfortunately, like what I kind of think of when I think about like how he was like tortured and Shale Ghoul to be like this hound to find Randall Thor. Like I think of when they have Gollum and they're torturing him in Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Shire, you know, like that's <laughs> I kind of don't mind not having that. But at the same time, I really want to know. Like, well, it makes you look at him in a new light. I mean, totally, how- totally. It sucks for these people that were ever on the edge of wanting to be involved in any dark friend scheme because as soon as they are involved, there is no turning back. It's true. It's true. Yeah. It's Um, only death after that. mm Mm-hmm. I do think it's fun that they just kind of throw out that he had once been a court bard. It's just like, here, like everyone's done this at some point in their past, been a court bard. And I this this is actually another thing. I don't mind it. I don't mind the foreshadowing. I don't mind like knowing that there's more to this person. And I think that's actually one of the things that's kind of fun about this is it's just so casually thrown in there mm-hmm. that you don't really recognize its importance until much later on. Um and then his response of I make a point of never knowing anything about Aes Sedai, much safer that way. Yeah, that goes right. Yeah. That goes straight to the heart, doesn't it? Poor Tom. What episode, what episode was that that we talked about that? The Sidene one. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And just like what I mean, I can completely understand and our, his <laughs> and our <laughs> one of our recent ones about the White Tower because yes. 
yeah, these are just the the red Aja has done a lot of damage to the reputation of the tower. One hundred percent. And this is just a glaring <laughs> argument mm-hmm. for it or a case for it. Yes, it is. Um, and so this is like to me, it's kind of um, like his reaction to seeing an Aes Sedai is one hundred percent understandable. Like. Mm-hmm. You have to just kind of think about all of the emotion that's like held inside him at this moment, considering how raw he still feels about his poor nephew. So, and I think what you said, where how he, when he sees Moraine, he blinked. Mm-hmm. And I think that was just for one split second, he couldn't hold the facade. Yeah. And exactly. Any other, any other thing, he probably would have been fine. But in this moment, he was probably so enraged, so angry, mm-hmm. and just that was the one little thing that made it through. Yeah. Like, it was just like that little extra crack. Like you a know? flinch. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Tom. <laughs> I think, is this the first time that Rand gets referred to as being as tall as an aisle man? Yes. Should we start keeping track of how often that gets said? <laughs> We need like a dinger, like ding. ding. That's one. We'll start making like a little note over on re- my calendar. Yeah, and I really love how this gets brought up because Tom says Rand is as tall as an Aiel man, and he's like, "Oh, and Perrin, you're the size of an Ogier." <laughs> and Perrin says they that we are not made up creatures from your stories. And yes! Tom's like, "Well, you lads are really well traveled." <laughs> I loved that moment. <laughs> and then Egwene realizes that he's like making mm-hmm. fun of them and she's like You shouldn't do up. that. She's like yeah. Stop that. It's just not it's not mm-hmm. nice. And he's like, I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> but did you see how Tom just completely worked it over on her? Because she goes from one minute being like, that's not nice. And he's mm-hmm. like, when well, aren't you the prettiest woman and <laughs> young woman in the two rivers? You should be my assistant. And then she's mm-hmm. like, OK. OK. <laughs> like, forgotten. <laughs> not mad any longer. Yeah. Did you hear this him call just, me pretty? Yeah. This is just typical <laughs> Tom. Like, he totally. It was just, yeah. Master manipulator. Mm-hmm. That's that's just it's just him. Yeah. <laughs> there is something that I thought that was really funny too with Matt's character because Tom's going on and Matt's like, You, I want eat fire. I want to see you eat fire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, you're such a little psycho. <laughs> I love it so much. It reminds me of something like one of my little nephews would like say, like, I want to see you right? shoot that firework or you know what I mean? Like from your hands. Ex- yeah. Explosion. Like, yeah. Make it dangerous. Just, yeah. Can I please cut dangerous. open those fireworks before you try to shoot them off into the sky? I want to see what's inside them. I'm Matt. Oh, God, I just I love pre dagger Matt. I forgot mm. how great he is. I I just always associate Eye of the World with Dagger Matt, and I'm like, this is so sad and awful, but I forget that we do have this little bit of time with him where he's just goofy. He's a nice, yeah, he's just a fun, nice person. Yeah. And hilarious. Yeah. I think one of the things that <laughs> stood out to me was how 
Tom's going to tell them tales of the Green Man, Warders, Trollocs, Ogier, and Aiel. All of these creatures are people that we see, like, immediately coming up. Yeah. Even in the next chapter, after all of this goes down, Rand is thinking to himself, like, Trollocs, Fade. Our stories, yeah. Yeah. He's like, maybe I'll see, I don't remember what it was, like an Aiel or an Ogier or the Green Man next. Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, yep, we got that. Yeah, those were... Foreshadowing out the wazoo. Seriously. And I mean, I get it, and I didn't really see it when I read it the first time. Maybe this is just because I've read the series, like, at least the first few book- books so many times. But they're still, like... One of the things that's really fun about doing this as an adult is seeing it from an adult perspective and also from, like, my ridiculous history background is completely different than it was when I was a kid. So how I look at certain things has changed. Like, I don't know. It's just really fun to go through this again. Um, Mm -hmm. But all that foreshadowing sometimes feels a little... Heavy-handed? Just a little. Yeah. Bit. Just, just, just <laughs> a little bit there. Just, just a little. See a little. what I mean, though, how sometimes it could feel like this is almost for a younger audience. Because, yeah. you know, like, I I wouldn't have caught some of these things mm-hmm. had I have been, you know, 15 or so. Like, mm-hmm. my, <laughs> I've read a lot more and a wider range of things from the time I was 15, okay? Mm-hmm. So, like, <laughs> it, it makes things like when Narg is telling Rand, like, well, I just want to talk to you. And I'm like, really? You're going to fall for that? That'll stick. Yeah, like, really, Narg? You think that's <laughs> something that people fall for? Like, it's come on. The whole, the Madral, it, the Madral just wants to talk to you. Why would you think that comforts anyone? <laughs> You're scared of the Murdral. How is he supposed to feel? This right. is not soothing at all. <laughs> this is not soothing in Bad the Narg. Bad Narg. <laughs> Should we do okay. chapter five next? We can, yeah. Brand being surprised when Tam locks the doors. Is that where we are? Mm-hmm. We are learning that the Two Rivers is the safest place ever and no one locks their doors and they don't need to. And I just thought that's, no. you know, cute. Aw, so cute, so, guys. Yeah, t- <laughs> Tam's scurrying around and checking on everything. And then this next thing is just, okay, we were talking. I said we would get back to this. We're getting back to it. So Yay! the and marked sword. Yay! Um, I really love the description that we get because Rand says it looks fragile. But Mm -hmm. when he is basically turning this wagon cart into this makeshift pulley thing to transport Tam, he's using this heronmarked blade to hack at the wood. And he's like, strange, the blade doesn't dull. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, okay. he even tests it with his thumb, like just mm-hmm. like touches it and immediately is like, oh, it cut me. Yeah, like, still okay. sharp as ever. <laughs> and then um, Tam says that he got the sword a long time ago mm-hmm. and he and paid entirely too much for it. Mm-hmm. Two coppers. And I'm like, is that, <laughs> I mean, does two coppers sound like entirely too much for a power rot? a sword (laughs) because to me it doesn't and I'm like Mm -mm. this is a lie right this is clearly 
like um almost one it's almost an Isodai lie because he's saying he paid too much for it and I I felt like he's talking like emotionally and physically mm-hmm. like being in the war mm-hmm. he paid for it he mm-hmm. suffers because of what he had to go through and then he's like yeah two coppers <laughs> <laughs> Like, as an afterthought. Like, this is a total lie, right? I think, I actually think that he says that to kind of, like, lessen the moment. You know? Like, it does feel a little heavy, like, the emotional cost of the war that we know he was in, but that Rand knows nothing Mm -hmm. about. And then, like, to say two coppers or whatever is, like, diminishing it. Like, dismissing Mm -hmm. it. Making it less grand and mysterious for Rand who is like I always wanted to have a sword you know so like Mm -hmm. like watering down its significance somehow that's how I always see it yeah yeah but it also makes me really question Tam's past Mm. because I this we I've said it before I'll say it again like (laughs) if we could get another prequel I want to know how Tam got his hands on the sword like I want to know the story oh there is a story it's like if you look it up on Wikipedia for Tam it tells how he got it like when he was fighting in Ilian I believe he defeated a blade master and that's how he got the Heronmark blade Right, but I mean, like, like not just a Wikipedia article. Like, I want a whole New Spring-style <laughs> oh. book. Like, I want the whole <laughs> story. <laughs> but, no, no but Amber, like, that's asking too much. <laughs> but what you're saying, though, it's still really curious because Tam is basically, you know, he's like a peasant. He's from, mm-hmm. he's a little farmer from a, he's not even... From the two rivers, he lives outside of town. I mean, he's just this farmer. So how did he become a blade master? Like, how? Where? I I need to know everything about this because it <laughs> and is I want just all the details. Yeah, and I mean, it, this was during the Aiel War, so he's got to be a pretty competent fighter to. Mm-hmm. Or this guy that somehow got the sword before him was a shit fighter. But if that's no, the I'm case, pretty sure how that... did he yeah, how did he get it? <laughs> because I'm I'm fairly certain that like at some point Lan even mentions being impressed by Tam's ability to yes. use the blade. And then there's that moment like when Tam and Rand are practicing sword fighting together after Rand's lost his hand mm-hmm. and he's like He's good. <laughs> He's good. Like everybody's yeah. standing around. Even the warders come to watch the two mm-hmm. of them fight and comment on how amazing of a swordman Tam happens to be. And like everyone's a bit surprised. But like. And there can't be too many power wrought weapons floating mm-hmm. around. Right. To the point exactly. Where Tam just somehow Landed came upon one. the. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we need a Tam 101. We do. I think we should do that at some point. He's just such an interesting character. And like one of the things. Okay, so. Let's actually figure like. uh, Let's see here. Okay. I want to let us finish up with chapter 
five. I have something I want to say about chapter six. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we learn some things about the Trollocs also in this chapter. Rand describes their language as harsh and inhuman. And mm -hmm. Tam says that some Trollocs can hear like dogs. Mm -hmm. And the dead Trollocs in the house smell terrible. So these creatures are just gross. They're, They're disgusting. Giant dirty, smelly. Yeah. And then, I don't know if I read this right, but it also appears like when they fought in the house and they escaped, when Rand comes back, he sees filth smeared on the walls. Like, yeah. Like, the Trollocs rubbed feces on the walls, right? Like, is that what they did? <laughs> because that's psychotic. And that makes the Trollocs even more disgusting Ew. than I had previously thought of. Ew. Amber. <laughs> It's in the book. Don't tell me. Tell Robert Jordan. He like, like when you, I hadn't thought filth. I just saw filth and like kind of ran past it. But you're, I think you're right. Gross. Because, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, because I mean, he's but saying. But I mean, at the same time, what made them take the time to like decide that this was rub feces all over the wall time? But they went through great measures to break and destroy everything mm -hmm. in the house. They cut every bag open. They poured the contents of everything in the house on the floor. The there was floor. not one thing that was left untouched. Mm -hmm. And Rand thinks they'll never be able to fix what the Trollocs did here. Yeah. And I feel like them doing that and rubbing that on the wall would be just, you know, like the the last thing that you could possibly do to make a home yeah. inhabitable. Yeah. Ugh. It's just it's just a <laughs> layer of really gross, disgusting imagery that probably wasn't necessary, but now that I think about it, it just makes the Trollocs one step more evil and disgusting. And disgusting. And, yeah, with their cook pots and yeah. their <laughs> <laughs> they're they're inhuman is what they're being described mm -hmm. as even with their language so i think it's sometimes easy to forget how big of a problem they are because towards the end it's just they're kind of like red shirts like they get cut down yeah. and they kind of feel like they're not really scary anymore yeah but i want to remember like how scary they are absolutely no, that's a really good point i had actually thought something about that as well because like robert jordan does take of course time in that that scene to describe what this trollic looks like and i think that's yeah i think you're right so it's so important trollics are fucking scary and disgusting mm -hmm. um the one thing that i like remember about this one like this chapter and then I think we can probably go to chapter six if you're feeling ready for it. Yep. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, Rand thinks while he's standing in the house that there was no false dragon there. And I was just like, <laughs> you're right, Rand. There isn't a false dragon there. Yep. Mm hmm. Like, I just sat and giggled over that. Like, it just tickled me. Like, how... Isn't it? Sometimes it... Yeah. <laughs> like, you're you're so right. You're so right. It was just really funny to me. Okay, so then chapter six, this is... This is Rand's beginning of an existential crisis that lasts mm -hmm. for, like, ten books. You know? Like, 
his whole world has gotten like shook down here and there's just a lot of badness sadness happening around here what really stood out to me and like this even from like the chapter before is the luck that gets mentioned in these couple chapters like mm-hmm. rand acknowledges that it was pure luck that he was able to kill narg and then when the madral is coming by them there's no way that madral should have missed seeing them you know right. so again luck like him being able to get all the things that he needed to have him being able to have this mm-hmm. hair and mark blade that like helps him create a litter to carry his father like luck after luck, luck after luck so mm-hmm. like to Viren. Well, Taviran or a man who can channel. Like, well, that both. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because I was like, that's one of the things that the I said I were looking for was for men who were incredibly lucky. And in this moment, it's like there's no way Rand should have survived an attack from a 10 foot tall Trolloc. Like all he did was put his blade up in time. Yeah. Luck. Just luck that, that mm-hmm. he survived that moment. So. It just, but it, there's also all of the things that would have had to happen before or as Rand was being born, because mm-hmm. we had talked about this in the Taviran episode. Just the like, even even as a newborn baby, the Taviran pull on Rand would have had to have been something incredible. Because what would have it? How would it have happened that somehow Tam got his hand on a heron marked sword that is power wrought? Mm-hmm. You know, with the one power. This mm-hmm. is not just like, oh, like a coincidence. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then everything feels kind of deliberate, yeah. but like in a really subtle way. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you have to really look at it and keep going back mm-hmm. to kind of find out like what led to what. There's even a moment where he's pulling Tam. And he thinks that he, for a moment, he wasn't tired anymore. And yeah. I'm just like, did he just do the ice that I trick? Heal himself a well, little yeah, bit. Yeah, where he, yeah, because this happens later on when Moraine is going to heal the horses, and she gets to mm-hmm. Bella, and she's like, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. Yeah, but I just, I mean, I'm just, like, <laughs> curious. There's so many little things that happen where it's like, okay, he mm-hmm. either channeled or Taviran. Yeah. Well, and what you were, that actually goes to the note that I wanted to make sure to mention. Because what I think is really cool is how we get in this fever dream, this stumbly story of how Tam found Rand in the snow. And... We have Guitara Morosa's or Moroso. We have her prophecy. Like mm-hmm. he was finding her or he was finding Rand as Guitara was having a foretelling about, about him. Exactly. And I think it's really neat how we have these like story pieces that overlay each mm-hmm. other because it doesn't happen very often. And when it does, it's like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Like, so we got kind of both sides like this kicks off everything. And, it's, it, and it's not immediately known because we are revealed this information as the reader in different parts of this book so mm-hmm. we're given little bits of it but like you said we don't get to see it all overlap because we're not 
yep. figuring it or hearing about it all at once. Mm-hmm. So when you say yeah. that, and I'm thinking about all of it layering up at the same time, ooh, chills. <laughs> right? <laughs> chills. Like, that's just, the, I'm like, ooh, oh, oh, there's like things that are mm-hmm. happening. And it's like, for me, this kind of spiral is what I like about studying history, too, is there's always something mm-hmm. that spirals off from one event and it's just fascinating to see like that domino effect of what it takes to get to a certain point in time or ability or whatever like and in this case it's okay it's rare okay I have a question is there anything was there more that you wanted to go on because I don't want to take too much time but I do have a question do you think okay okay do you think Tam knows that there is something about Rand, like raising this child with such an incredible Taviran pull, do you think Rand or Tam is kind of keeping Rand out of the big city on purpose? I'm saying big city in like quotation points. Like, is there right, the village is there living outside of the village almost a means to protect him? I was wondering kind of the same thing. If like because it does say in the book that Tam and Rand are thought of as being unusual for being two men who live mm-hmm. together and I mean without like a wife involved yeah. it's just kind of uncommon like Tam never remarried and for living out in the Westwood which is outside the village so Rand probably grew up without a lot of close play playmates mm-hmm. that he could spend time with he would have been somebody who was only seen in the village every <gasps> once in a while and like, this is why tam wouldn't have remarried he's the most eligible eligible bachelor you couldn't bring yeah. a woman into this situation and feel comfortable like putting her in harm's way like knowing whoever he would fall in love with would potentially be mm-hmm. finding out information about this young boy that could kill kill them so I don't know if like Tam thought I'm just like I don't know if Rand would have I don't know. I don't know. Because I mean it almost it almost feels like Rand found Tam. Like I kind of feel like Tam stumbling across this baby was more Rand finding him than him finding baby Rand. Oh, yeah. Or just like the wheel weaving as the wheel wills to to make sure that people are... Because, I mean, when the I said I go out to look for the baby, they ask women. Yeah. And they're asking for women who have recently given birth. Tam is a guy. Yeah. So they're not looking for a man with an orphaned baby. Right. Why, Why would they? That's not what would cross their mind. Why would they think that the baby was born during the battle? Yeah. You know, like, it's just, there's a lot of mis, it almost, like, I don't want to say misguided, but like. Yeah, no, I see what you're, I know what you're, I know what you mean, though. Like. Yeah. It's just, it, it's so, if he's to be the most Taviran person ever known. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of feel like the person you live with would pick up on a few things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the thing that I've been trying to figure out since we did our Taviran episode with uh, Felicia is, is he only Taviran when he needs to be at this point? Right. Like. Because you can be Taviran at any time in your life. You're not born yeah. it. 
Yeah. And it can it can like just dissipate what it needs to, which I think is what happens at the end of the series. Like Rand is no longer tied to being Tavirin or to any responsibilities, apparently. Vacation time. Sorry, I hold that against him and maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, like those the main thing that I got from chapter six is just that like what's gonna happen for Rand next is gonna be some big shit. You know? Yeah. Like if you weren't thinking he was the main character before, you are definitely thinking that now. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Did you have anything you wanted to add on that? The only other curious thing, and it's it's not really curious, but it's just another like smackling of foreshadowing, <laughs> I guess. Is I like the word smackling. <laughs> Splattering. <laughs> I think it's because I've actually been spackling lately. Mm. <laughs> at the walls. It's it's between smattering yeah. and spackling. It's, it's an in-between. Um, I like it. It's okay. So when Rand notices the Merdral and the group of Trollocs kind of walking with mm. it, he says mm-hmm. the Trollocs are walking in step with the Merdral, almost like they are obeying the same mind. And I'm like, oh, this Ooh. is when we know that this is when we get hinted that Fades actually command the Trollocs. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Nice observation. I dig it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just liked the whole like Merdral going and like you can hear him. And then when he comes back, he's like silent. And then he has that moment where he's like galloping and just this silent blur of black. And I just. It's so The imagery creepy. around that. Yeah. Is... Like I love how scary it is and how creepy mm-hmm. it is. And. It starts to lose that after a while, and I don't want to forget it. Yeah. Let's hold on to the creepy mm-hmm. and the disgust for Trollocs and Madral. <laughs> yeah, they are disgusting. <laughs> They're disgusting. Trollocs, who raised you? <laughs> Agonor, you're disgusting. <laughs> he was you kind of a dead your parent. <laughs> you know? Is, like though, he right? made them and then he bounced for 3,000 years. What a dick. <laughs> Father of Trollocs never taught you any manners. I, he's got a hell of a back child support payment <laughs> on all those <laughs> for 3,000 years <laughs> oh god gross Agonor is just nasty uh no kidding so are Trollocs ugh okay alright are we good? we're good we're good alright let's wrap up Thanks so much for joining us. We will continue to release new episodes every Wednesday. We would love if you'd subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, and share us with your friends in the Wheel of Time community. Let us know what you thought of our content. Correct us, send us things we may have missed. You can find links to our email and social media accounts in the show notes. And if you have the Anchor app, leave a voice message for us to play in upcoming episodes. We also have a Discord channel. Just find us on any of our social media platforms, and we can send you an invite. And... Again, check out the merch, merch shop. shop. Yep. It's really cool. Just go do it. You will you will be happy. You will enjoy it, hopefully. You will. So, I think so. <laughs> so until like next it. week. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the road to Tarbalon.